We could start guys talking on? or we could just never, never have stopped talking. <laughs> That's true. We could just pretend that we never, uh, the hitting record was something we did uh, completely naturally. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, for everybody else joining us, hello and welcome to Esquiring Minds, episode three for January 12th, 2023. <laughs> so <laughs> giving off Zombocom vibes there. Hello and welcome to Zombocom. Oh, hello welcome. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, for the uninitiated, this show is just uh, us three goofing around for your enjoyment and absolutely nothing we say should be taken as any form of advice certainly not legal advice and it seems we're no longer charting on the technology charts in australia so we shouldn't be taken oh my for God. technology advice either unfortunately friendship ended with australia i don't know what you guys Definitely. said it was one of you yeah <laughs> one of you said something to, to offend them and they're gone they're done with us we were too thirsty for australia we were too direct we were like oh we love you and they were like oh you're too you know yeah. That's too direct Related for up. us. They can smell so desperation. We play it cool. That, I've, yeah. yeah. We don't care. If they don't listen, yeah. they don't. Yeah. yeah. No. Be cool, nerds. Be cool. Uh, Canada yeah. likes us now, though, now, right? They do, yeah. It's yeah. getting closer. It seems that the people who are closer to us are beginning to sort of catch our flavor a little bit. And so I think that that is, you know, that speaks well for us. You know, I'm a fan Good. of all the British Commonwealths. I'll hit, I'll hit them all at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're all great. Uh yeah, I guess the, I don't think that counts us. Uh, does that count us? No. But I do love America, so you know, I lo- I love you all. <laughs> all right. So just by way of introductions, I'm Andrew Leahy. I'm a tax and technology attorney in New Jersey, and I'm joined, as I will always be joined, by uh, legendary. Georgia and Indiana employment lawyer Jason Ramesland. How are you tonight, Jason? Hello. I'm doing great. Georgia and Indiana employment lawyer here, sounding off, suing bad bosses across two states, uh, occasionally across Florida with my buddy Jake. Jake, <laughs> how you doing tonight? I'm doing. I'm doing great. I don't. I'm not legendary. Man, that's so inviting. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a local government attorney. Um, that's so inviting fate when you say you're always going to be joined. It, it's like, man, we're yeah. like podcast married. Uh, well, I want to put it out okay there into me, the but, universe. You know. Yeah, I want to make sure. Like, it's that. What is that intention? It's putting the intention into the universe. I'm going to start yeah, the doing secret. That. That's, yeah, yeah, that's what the show is most like chiefly about, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. In my circles, we call it uh, name it and claim it. There you go. <laughs> is that what that means? That's yeah, not. How I, that's, what <laughs> that's not what I thought. Name it and claim it meant. Yeah, you name it, you speak it into existence, and then it's yours. You just name it, and, oh, man. and it's yours. Okay, I'm, I'm going to name and claim. Yeah, I, I'll feel less cautious about saying what I'm naming and claiming. There you go. You can just shout well, it out. Yeah. It doesn't actually work that way, but, you know. Oh. oh. Is that like children calling it for the front seat, for the passenger seat? Yeah, it's if you call it, that's, it's, uh, I, yeah. I'm calling dibs, dibs on great personal wealth. Dibs on great personal wealth. There you go. See, you now you've put it out there, and and so it so it yeah. will come. Yeah, God, well, if you're I listening. mean, <laughs> in furtherance of great personal wealth, our show is getting um, really, I think, polished up. Like the, the new logo we have is fantastic. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and the person, I'm very unbiased. Uh, the logo is the best thing in the world, uh, actually. But no, it was made by my wife Kelly, my very talented uh, designer wife um who yeah and it's inspired by old aol 
and old AOL logos, which I think is consistent with our vibe of being uh, millennial techies, I guess. Also old. Uh, I don't know if you guys were in AOL chat rooms like I was in AOL trivia chat rooms. Yeah, of course. Um, Also, apparently it steals. It looks British. Something about the powdered wigs. So if you're not looking at your phone, it's three dudes in powdered wigs holding gavels um popping out because of a just dressing up computer monitor just dressing us yeah. up in gray suits carrying briefcases wouldn't really give off the right vibe for what we're going for neither do the robes and the powdered wigs and the gavels but uh you know it conveys the yeah. right message at least Jake, that's law uh, <laughs> as somebody who also has this going on in his life has this dynamic in his life what is it like being married to somebody who is so much more pleasant and interesting and talented than you are uh, <laughs> when can we sort of phase you out and 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 phase yeah. your wife in? Is that a you thing know, that's it, possible? It's terrible for the um, uh, for the imposter syndrome for just being alive. You know, mm. like you can have imposter syndrome for your jobs, but like sometimes it's like you know, oh, I you know, I don't need to exist. Uh, mm. I was already kind of anti-existing in general, so um, it just reinforces it. I want to come out as pro Jake existing. As oh, much as I just like firmly. took a shot at you right there, it was that a means fun so much. Pro, I am pro Jake. Pro yeah, Jake's that existence. means so much to me. Yeah, the hey, logo transition. Fantastic. Yeah, well, hold on. I want I want to compliment the logo further. Then I will. We will have a okay. great transition. Um, it has to to your point. It has that that aspect that I have no idea how one would even go about duplicating that. Like I don't even. I have no idea how your wife did that. I look at it. It looks awesome. It looks fantastic. I couldn't tell you what program you use to do that do you use a pencil do you use a uh, like one of the little uh, wacom tablets yeah. or wacom w-a-c-o-m she used How's an ipad done? with an apple pencil uh but she uses lightroom and she was very interested in our conversation about um lightroom and adobe using people's images for ai either, either without tell basically like putting it in the terms or something but all right. not really telling them because she uses it for uh, our kids' photos, and so Ooh, they are using our kids' photos without talking, telling us, and that uh, was disturbing for her. Uh, I think, understandably, certainly, yeah. But speaking of corp things, fa- nope, that's not things failing. Uh, <laughs> were any of you impacted the by Stuck the landing? The, yeah, thank you. The, Stuck unlike, the landing. There you go. The Stuck uh, the landing. Is the landing. Uh, exactly. Uh, were any of your families uh, impacted by FAA computer system totally melting down? No, nobody. No, no. My, my, I, not, um, so, I, did you guys follow at all what it actually turned out that it was? So apparently it was the the um, NOTAM mm-hmm. system, which is the notice to air. It was up until recently notice to airmen. And now it's apparently like notice to air missions or something. And it was a corrupt yeah, database yeah. file. That caused the, the oh. entire thing. I did. I wasn't personally impacted, but I have sort of you know friends of friends that were. One corrupt, one corrupt database file took down the whole airline system. Brought that's down the so, whole thing. And my, that, that's like my so, so uh, a pattern of this computer age that we live in, where like some random thing is propping up the entire multiple entire systems, and we just have no idea about it. 
Yeah, my understanding was that the it may not have been the technology that brought it down as much as it was the concern about what caused that database to be corrupted. And so they didn't know if there had been some sort of breach or something. I, I think some from some of the people uh-huh. sort of speculating. I don't think there's been anything really released. And here's a transition. Speaking of talking about things you don't know what you're talking about, uh, <laughs> we had some feedback <laughs> um, questioning sort of some of our points we made in the last episode. And so that's why in the intro, I emphasized pretty hard um, that this is really just intended to be for entertainment purposes for really it's like first and foremost it's for our entertainment and if you all who are listening want to come along and enjoy it as well you're more than welcome to but you know this is for me yeah if you're yeah uh if you hear something we say that's probably based on like reading or skimming a word like an article uh if you want want to do more research into it that's highly recommended. We actually actively discouraged re- re- each other from researching stuff that we were going to talk on here so that it would feel like less work to come and talk because we really just wanted to, you know, have an excuse to hang out and talk on the every once in a while or every week. Um, yeah. So isn't, if, isn't, we tr- we want to be right because we're people that like being right, but we aren't. That's not the goal of this podcast. Yeah, it's definitely not a try hard research podcast. It is definitely not where you want to go for hard news. None of this is going to be hard news. We might take a look at hard, like a short, like a glance at hard news and uh, talk about it a little bit and kind of try and take some funny pot shots at the hard news while we're taking pot shots at each other. But this is not, you know, gosh, what's a good example here? This is not, you know, Preet Bahara, which is an excellent podcast. He's got an awesome podcast that is like sometimes good hard news, sometimes really in-depth interviews. This isn't that. This is just three nerdy lawyers talking about stuff and poking fun at each other and having a good time together. Um, so yeah. not hard news. If you're here expecting hard <laughs> news and uh, and just like super precise uh, commentary and insight. Listen, we're not not trying, but we're also not trying real hard. Uh, and so if you're here for hard news, uh, you probably want to go somewhere else for that. Uh, and if you are here for fun and entertainment and goofing around, uh, then this is the place to be. Uh, speaking of things that we probably barely know anything about the FTC um, proposed a rule regarding stuff that you Jason very much know about, which is a rule banning non-compete clauses in employment contracts for virtually everything that is not a acquisition of a corporation, Um, which is huge. I know just from my, like from my perspective, I have a lot of friends that are subject to non-competes where I wouldn't think they would be like just from a person that isn't, that doesn't have a non-compete, a lawyer. uh, One of my friends who is in legal services and court reporting sales couldn't sell in my area because of a non-compete when he moved. And I was like, what is the possible value to society from that? But yeah, the FTC is, uh, has proposed a rule banning non-compete causes and almost all employment contracts. It, but you deal with that more in your practice, right, Jason? Yeah, yeah. So this is one of the things that uh, I spend a, like a pretty solid chunk of my time doing throughout the uh, weeks and months uh, and years. Uh, so this is uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission uh, has passed, or not passed, they've preliminarily voted 
to open up this 60-day comment period uh, where they have proposed this rule, this new rule that bans uh, most, uh, we're not going to get into the exact precise contours of this, but let's say that it just bans non-competes nationwide. There's some exceptions, doesn't cover everybody, it doesn't cover everything, but let's just simplify it and say it bans non-competes. First of all, I want to take a moment and note here, because I haven't seen it in any of the stuff that I've read about this. This is already the case for about one out of every five or six Americans. The state of California has already done this, and like one out of every five or six people in the United States live in California. Uh, and there are probably other states, obviously California being just gargantuan gets uh, the most observation and the most news about it. But this is already the law in California where non-competes are already unenforceable. Uh, and so this would take that and essentially do the same thing nationwide. Yeah, on the other states, apparently... Um I, I did. I broke the rules a little bit, and I did a little bit of research because I am the least knowledgeable about non-compete agreements of the three of us, and I didn't want to sound like a complete moron. But um, prior to COVID, uh, apparently the only states that were um, restricting them at all were Oklahoma, California, and North Dakota. And then post-COVID, there was a, a whole Nevada, Illinois, Maine is a whole slew of them. To your point, Jason, that had passed some sort of prohibition on either. Um, uh, things like undue hardship to on the employee or low wage employees, um, and so I, 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 is this a, like I mean, is this a big deal or is this is this a big deal because the FTC is looking to just sort of do it nationwide? I mean, how big is this? I mean, that seems it seems like a humongous deal, uh, at least in mm-hmm. my area. Like, um, like Florida does not restrict non-completes. You know, I think a lot of the states that don't totally ban them have a lot of them have like restrictions on how reasonable like they have to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. You can't say right. you are hired. Uh, if you ever quit, you can never work in this state again. Like, you know, you couldn't do something like that. Um, in Florida, I know there's some kind of restriction on that. I can't say I know it. Um but it would be humongous. And I know that there's like a little bit of a panic from <laughs> or panic might be the wrong word. But uh, when I was, Oop, I also broke the, right the rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also broke the rules and did a little research on it because I was also interested in the administrative state part of this, the rulemaking part. Um, and I saw so many like big law firms putting out that represent employers putting out statements about, you know, um, why this is questionably legal. Um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let, I'll let you say something, Jason, uh, before so- I get, before I throw some cold water on this proposition about what they, what I was le- reading about the legality of it. Yeah. So I, I, the administrative orders, procedures, all that stuff, like I'm not even remotely quali- qualified to make any kind of comments about that. But Jake, you're right. There are some limitations on these non-competes. Uh, generally, the the limitations that I, I can only really speak directly to Indiana and Georgia, most of the time what they're going to require is that in order for uh, a non-compete to be enforceable and valid. It has to protect a legitimate protectable interest of the employer. You can't just be restricting trade when you don't have an interest to protect. Uh, and then you have to be reasonable in time and you have to be reasonable in scope. Time is a scope. 
uh, geographic scope or customer scope or something like that. In other words, there has to be something that makes it unfair within the employers and maybe the employees, probably mostly a court's uh, judgment that's going to say that it is unfair for this empl- this employee to go and compete against this employer for some period of time afterward. Now, the trend has probably been, at least in Indiana and Georgia, it's maybe the reverse. The trend has been towards uh, less, it's been less employer friendly and more, more employee friendly as time has gone on here. I think because we're getting into a scenario where in, in a day and age when there's a lot of uh, employment mobility, a lot of people looking to make moves from one place to another. Uh, and so the trend has certainly been towards, uh, you know, disfavoring these non-competes and their restrictions and their covenants and restraint of trade. And so they should be, uh, yeah. they should be not rejected, disfavored. They should be disfavored. Have you seen any like, you know, really obvious cases where it shouldn't be a non-compete that you can think of that you've been practicing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, there was one, gosh, I, I mean, there's sometimes where people just get it flat wrong. Uh, there've been one where, uh, there's, there've been ones where people have just defined their terms poorly and just written the contract poorly. And so the contract gets construed against the drafter. And also then the whole covenant and restraint of train is disfavored. Uh, but you run into a, a sort of mismatch between the scope of what's prohibited and the scope of what would actually stand to protect a legitimate protectable interest. And a lot of times we use the example of like the janitor problem. There's absolutely no reason why a chief technology officer for a company should be prohibited from going and working at a competitor as a janitor. Like there's nothing that makes that unfair. <laughs> And so you've got that sort of mismatch there. And that's hmm. the one where, uh, you know, employees will often overreach uh, and then get dinged for it because courts don't want to go back and allow you to reach as far as you can, reach as far as you want to, and then <laughs> count on the courts to be your backstop to rein you in. To your point, uh, Jason, about or and Jake, I mean, just in general about the the sort of uh, chief technology officer to janitor type transition. What is the devil's advocate argument for uh, non compete? I mean, like I understand why the employ why an employer would potentially want it, but what are they going to argue? Uh, what is what is the what is the cold water that's coming from? Jay? Is it like brain drain? Is it investment in training that they're concerned that they're you know they're going to put put a lot of time sort of onboarding you and then you're just going to take off and go. What is the what is the public policy angle they're trying to take up? If I'm being really skeptical about this, I think the thing that they're scared of is Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, where you've got the janitor, literal, literally the janitor who's walking around. What was it? Right. MIT, I think. Uh, mm. And he sees this math problem on the chalkboard, and he goes up and solves it, and then disappears. And everybody's super interested in how whoa, who solved this math problem that nobody could solve in the class? <laughs> uh, so, like employers think every janitor is Matt Damon, and then they treat him like garbage. Uh, so maybe that's what they're concerned about. Like, oh yeah, but you're going to say something when you're passing somebody in the hallway, right? Or how could you possibly go from this to that? And so maybe that's what they're concerned about. Uh, I think it's a lot of unfairness. Well, I can imagine that a CTO, like imagine a CTO goes like, I'm just going to be a janitor at Google. 
And then, you know, they're mm-hmm. a janitor that where people just keep coming up to them and, you know, asking them to do, you know, uh, you can't you if I'm an employer that, uh, you know, is worried about an actual trade secret that, you know, we want to protect because, you know, we don't want this kind of corporate espionage and sniping where this is at least my theory about why why, uh, you know, non-competes are sometimes good is. Sometimes you want to, you don't want to be scared about generating IP or generating, you know, um, you know, secret strategies with your employees, then, which then can just be hired away to somebody else. Um, obviously there's some trade secret, independent protection for trade secrets, which I don't, I don't know anything about. Um, but that would be, you know, the natural protection for trade secrets. You don't even have to worry about whether or not they're saying the illegal thing. You know, they can't because they can't be employed by the illegal, by the company that you're competing with. Yeah. And the trade secrets thing, you're exactly right, is is already addressed by something else. There's actually a uniform trade secrets act that has been adopted by, I don't know how many states, uh, but that is addressed, like that concern about somebody taking the formula for Coke or the Colonel's signature blend of 11 herbs and spices or something like that and going to work for a competitor. Like that's already protected separate from the non-compete. I think a lot of times what people are more concerned about in a non-compete situation can be solved by something else. But what they're concerned about is uh, you develop a reputation, you develop goodwill with these customers, you develop goodwill within the industry or within a community, uh, and you take that goodwill, which the employer thinks belong to them, uh, belongs to them. And it, in some ways, the law treats it as belonging to them. You take that and set up your own shop or go work in somebody else's shop. And that's what they feel like is unfair. I think you can solve that problem with something else that's not banned by this proposed rule, which is a non-solicitation agreement. Yes, to your point on that, it it seems strange that the the previous to this, the restrictions for most of the states seem to be tied to uh, the restrictions on non-competes in most of these most of the states that had them prior to this were tied to things like uh, regional and 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 for a period of time. Period of time, I understand if it's a concern for brain drain or IP or something, but regional seems very um, like some sort of old time thinking, like some sort of holdover from so like you're a salesperson for one vacuum uh, uh, sto- um, company in in a small city, and you're going to just you know move over to another or start your own and just take the customer list right over. Because why would region really particularly matter if the concern is sort of uh, what you guys were sort of talking about is is the is the the main thing? You know what I mean? Like what is well, the, there situations- how, does, how does restricting it on region help? Yeah, there's there are definitely situations where somebody is a regional operator. You could think of it like a, a roofing contractor, like they've got a regional footprint in a way that maybe a tech firm selling software doesn't, or somebody selling ideas or services that don't require you to actually be physically present in a place to do them. And so, there's definitely a place where like the regional restriction makes sense for sure. Yeah, I don't know if this is exactly regional, though. I think it totally is. Um, but the friend that I mentioned selling legal services, and by that, I mean like court reporting, courtroom presentation, that kind of thing. And if you aren't, if you somehow, if you aren't an American lawyer, know that that's a, a thing that gets sold a lot. There are a lot of salespeople selling court reporting and other legal services, service of process, that kind of thing. Um, 
he was banned from selling in my county. Um, and he was known, he was well known uh, in like the counties, the my county and the counties surrounding it. And so he was restricted to only selling in another county. The thing is, he was really only well known in my county. That was where his reputation was. Um, and so uh, he got sued by his old co- corporation. This is pretty recent. He got sued by his old employer uh, for mm-hmm. showing up to a conference in my county, even though he didn't sell there. He was just hanging out. But, you know, for to them, that's part and parcel with selling is you become you, be, really? you become chums with the people. Um, but I don't know whether that's whether that's worth protecting is, you know, a matter for democratic process or whatever. Um, but, uh, I do, uh, the cold water that I referenced earlier, I was reading some, like some biased employer analysis, but also some unbiased analysis that seemed pretty confident that this is not going, that it's going to get thrown out by the Supreme court, um, based on the, uh, major questions on the opposition based on the composition (laughs) of the Supreme court. Yeah. uh, Yeah. There's a, uh. There's a relatively new doctrine called the Major Questions Doctrine, which says that um, an administrative agency can't create a new rule with major implications unless there's a clear legislative command to do so. And so this is based, this rule is being issued based on the, uh, the I believe it was the law saying that they're allowed to issue, to make rules based on unfair practices unfair commercial practices and so whether or not this is unfair commercial practice they it would be hard to say that this is that there's a legal like a clear legal command to make a rule regarding non-competes because non-competes are a big deal so they're they seem very confident based on the composition of the courts the supreme court that it's not going to go anywhere um but and it we'll obviously see... wouldn't go anywhere in congress yeah, I mean, co- what's going anywhere in Congress? Uh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, they seem pretty confident that it's not going to go anywhere. Far be it for me to wade into matters of what's going to be declared constitutional and unconstitutional. <laughs> but like, this is why the FTC exists. It exists and it's got a pretty clear mandate uh, where uh, they, I, I think the FTC is the body that uh, at least is somewhat involved in antitrust rules and antitrust issues uh, and making decisions and rules about stuff like that. And like, this is a covenant in restraint of trade. Like this is what antitrust legislation was not entirely because you have the whole like monopoly sort of thing that plays into antitrust. But you also have these covenants and restraint of trade where maybe places aren't monopolies, but they engage in behaviors that have the effect of uh, suppressing mobility of workers between businesses, uh, mm-hmm. as the FTC noted in this rulemaking that they've uh, that they've proposed here, uh, it has the effect of suppressing wages on like a pretty big scale. I think they said something like three hundred billion dollars a year in wage suppression. Uh, it, you know that probably does lend some 
forced to the notion that this is a major what what was it major doctrines major decisions major uh, questions yeah. but still yeah major questions there you go uh but you know this still seems to be pretty squarely within the wheelhouse of what the ftc exists to do and what their mandate is yeah i don't know if this is you know exactly ftc th- this being the thing i was about to say not what you were saying uh ftc interests but like just the fact that, uh, you know, it can become a norm for a whole uh, a whole industry that you get non-competes, uh, but people aren't compensated as if they are, they are receiving non-competes. They're getting compensated at normal salaries. And then basically you trap them where they can't quit because they won't be able to, they'll have to move or they'll have to have some hideously unjustifiable commute to work anywhere. Um, that seems like something that the government should deal with um, where people, yeah, mobility of workers is like, you could call it mobility of workers. That's almost too theoretical. They are the, like, you can trap them, you know, uh, you can trap them in their, in their job where they can't leave and that, yeah. And that suppresses salaries. So that's, uh, that's very, I feel like that should be a concern. Uh, that if the FTC doesn't have doesn't have authority to deal with, somebody should have the authority to deal with. Well, it's also these non competes can contribute to an awful lot of corporate waste too. Uh, I, I know of more than one situation, and I don't think it's uncommon at all where you'll have somebody. It's particularly common among higher level executives, but you may have somebody who uh, is invited to resign or is terminated or somehow separates from the company who, uh, you know, has this 18 month or two year non-compete that some states will obligate. I think Illinois is one of them that I think they have to pay them for the entire duration of the non-compete period. Even if they don't have to, I'm probably wrong about that Illinois law. This is not legal advice, uh, but uh, even even so, at a high level, the executives who are like the highest compensated employees will sometimes have it that you get paid for the entire period of your non compete. I have really specific direct knowledge about a situation like this, where a former executive got uh, kind of they said, uh, "Well, we need to trim down our executive team who is willing to go." And uh, this person said, "Okay, I'll I'll be the first one out." Took eighteen months and played golf for a year and a half. <laughs> got pretty good. Do you know about uh, Brett McMurphy, the ESPN guy? Uh, so he was a college football reporter. ESPN, you know, decided they were trying to do layoffs, and uh, they looked at the these, you know, old guard c- reporters who were on like the first year of their contracts or something like that, and they were like, "We're gonna lay, we're gonna lay you off because we'll pay you for the rest of your contract, but you're not allowed to work for anyone else." So that way you're just going to start, you're going to like say, okay, we'll, we'll forgo, I'll forgo the rest of my salary because I don't want to become irrelevant over the next three years by not Mm -hmm. working for anybody else. Uh, So Brett McMurphy decided to just do the reporting from his Twitter account. He stayed extremely active in reporting and was just Brett McMurphy, independent reporter. Um, and he, he really like made it work for him. And in the meantime, he's getting checks from ESPN after being laid off for the time that he would have been spending doing the work for them. 
Um, so yeah, I, I call that corporate waste. Um, there's but, some uh, interesting really public work. policy concerns too, uh, <laughs> as far as this stuff goes, where like, uh, there are sometimes, and this kind of gets at Brett McMurphy a little bit where, uh, he kind of circumvented the whole thing, but there is a move now and Indiana just adopted some legislation recently that said with physicians who are like kind of important people, uh, and especially in a state that is, uh, broadly rural and agricultural, like we need physicians to be able to work and we need them to be able to be portable. So they actually had a statutory enactment. I'm going to summarize it because I haven't touched on this issue yet. Uh, and so this is a high level summary of uh, my vague understanding of it is any new physician non-compete has to include a buyout provision where you can pay some reasonable sum to buy your way out of that non-compete. Now, in the case of doctors, mm-hmm. it's going to be whatever clinic or practice or hospital group that they go to who's going to pay the fifty dollars or $100,000 or whatever it is to buy them out of their non-competes. Uh, but there's a public policy angle to this too, where we need certain certain kinds of people, uh, certain key professions to be free from these sorts of things. Uh, and so public policy plays a part in it too. Yeah. Somehow lawyers are that are a key profession in all these in all these laws. So you know, thank thank God mm-hmm. for us. You know, we're so important that we we can't be tied down. That would be like you know. That would com- compromise people's access to the courts. Um, anyway, uh, I think that's the justification for why lawyers, all, like, I'm not sure. I know in Florida, there aren't any non-competes for lawyers, uh, but that's definitely not the norm in the industry. Well, there were even like essential workers during COVID. And I know at least in like yeah. in Pennsylvania and in Philadelphia, there was like just broadly lawyers. It wasn't like, you know, public defenders or something. It was, yeah. you know, you're a real estate attorney, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in the office. You can be in there while everybody's coughing and choking. So I had, before we segue to (laughs) ice cream, before we segue to anything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a, a, a useless addition here. So a, you, Jason, you mentioned monopoly. A monopoly is where you are the only seller of something, right? You've cornered the market on something. Do you guys know what the word is for when you're the only buyer? No. No, I didn't know that there were going to be <laughs> trivia questions here. Monopsony, just like Monopoly, oh, I, but with Sony at the end. Monopsony. I love that band. That's a great band. They're a great band. It's a shame they broke up. George Michael yeah. and the other. Oh, guy. did they? Oh, that's a that's a shame. I didn't know that. They did. I'm I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's it was Monopsony, and then it's an exclamation point at the end. That's that's how the you know, stylized. Um, that's my useless addition to that to that discussion. Monopsony. I know <laughs> that you. from uh, uh, it, I, to my knowledge, it only really comes up in things like um, the Affordable Care Act and like life insurance or I'm sorry, uh, health insurance uh, companies where you can have sort of Blue Cross and Blue Shield derivatives in a state being the only purchaser of uh, medical. Uh, what do you call it? Doctors, nurses, hospital services right and so that they can set the price because they're the only buyers you know what i mean like we're the only ones who can pay you because we've we have this all sewn up anyway monopsony before i transition to yeah that's that's a little you got to write that down that's a little trivia for you for future episodes (laughs) um you guys hear about the uh right to repair uh uh memorandum of understanding between the american farm bureau federation and john deere and so uh, I think this was going to be our, our second sort of major topic uh, tonight. 
this is interesting. This is similarly, I'm wondering if Jake is going to sort of bring the bucket of cold water for this one too. I, I'm <laughs> somewhat skeptical. I mean, I think this is going to be one of those situations where the exceptions sort of uh, swallow the rule or the, the rule swallows the exceptions, depending on, on how you look at this. But anyway, right to repair is this generalized idea that, um, you know, when you, uh, you get a new uh, uh, device of some sort, you have to sign oftentimes either through click wrap by, uh, on software or um, it's on the, literally back when we used to buy software in a box, it would actually be on the plastic wrap that when you tore it open, you were agreeing to the end user license agreement. Um, the right to repair is attempting to remedy this situation where the devices you buy, you might own the physical device, but you don't own the intellectual property uh, that makes that device work. So be it um, firmware or software or an operating system or a cell phone, uh, uh, cell phone operating system. So in, in this particular, um, the reason why it has come up is uh, John Deere and apparently the American Farm Bureau Federation have a memorandum of understanding that is going, they're going to, quote, ensure farmers everywhere are able to repair their own equipment. And what this promises to potentially do is allow for a this to be applied more broadly so that the devices you buy you can go to non-authorized service people to have various repairs done and when potentially even a uh, hardware manufacturer stops um, updating the underlying software and firmware for a device like say an operating system for a cell phone or a tractor or now increasingly uh, maybe a car um, you can go to someone who can potentially fix it, right? Get it working again. Someone who and doesn't work for John you, Deere. Right. Someone who doesn't work for John Deere. <laughs> someone who doesn't pay to be an authorized John Deere uh, representative. And the other thing is, I mean, the thing I was, the, the point that, the reason why I think this is important is how many pieces of software are abandonware, right? There's some little tool mm -hmm. that you get that is intended to do something. We've talked a lot about cookie clicker. I don't know if they're still updating cookie clicker <laughs> for Jake's, for Jake's uh, uh, sake. I certainly hope they are, but let's say whoever is, is, you know, working on cookie clicker uh, doesn't, doesn't want to work on it anymore, right? They're moving on to something else. Now they're doing muffin clicker or something, whatever. Um, <laughs> The the uh, that is bad enough, right? Like Jake, you know, his life would be thrown into disarray. It, that would be, and Jason as well. J, uh, Jason's family. I mean, everyone on this podcast, other than me, <laughs> my children, would not, not be me. able. To, I don't want to play Cookie Clicker. Yeah. Cookie Clicker was Utah. perfect when it was born. It does not need any maintenance. It's it's good no as problems. it is. Right. Yeah. But in seriousness, um, it needs to be updated for new versions of. I presume this runs on iOS or a BlackBerry. What what is this run on? Are you, are you, what are you, are you talking about cookie clicker? Or are you talking about tractors? Clicker. No, I'm talking cookie about cookie clicker, clicker is a web, is a web game. It's, it runs oh, on okay, everything. Well, that's a bad example. All right. Okay. Then yeah. That's a bad example. Maybe that doesn't need to be updated. Maybe it is perfect as, as it is now. It is perfect. Um, yeah. But the, the broader cookie clicker point here is that um, it's bad enough when software is abandoned, but when software that makes something go like a tractor um, is abandoned, mm -hmm. you can have giant, you know, multi-thousand pound paperweights basically. Uh, you know, again, mm -hmm. cell phones, uh, cars, it, this is just becoming increasingly, uh, you know, more of a relevant um, problem. And so it seems it, it there's at least the potential path forward for this right to repair to open up some avenues for third parties to be able to make changes and maybe even users to be able to repair their own devices. 
Yeah. And and what John Deere here was doing here was like especially heinous. Uh, if you just imagine you're you're driving a tractor, which you need for your business, for your livelihood, it breaks down. You are not allowed to fix it. It's not like a car. You for a long time, you could not fix it because you were not allowed to access the diagnostic tool. Only a John Deere authorized specialist could diagnose it with the authorized tool. And so you would have, they were deliberately making them into paperweights unless you paid them additional money. Uh, and I blame, I blame uh, King Gillette, the person who invented the disposable razor where you were and the business model where you sold the razor for super cheap and you sell the disposables for uh, with the hook, uh, the idea of getting people hooked on the disposables. That's where this like all comes from. Idea. Yeah, it's the yeah. It, I don't know if he was the first one, uh, but you know, this is was he an Ink actual Jet king Printers. or something? I I think King was his first name. Uh, I I really? broke the rules again. I googled this. I googled. I was like, man, this is this is just Gillette. This is just the the evolution of of disposable razors. Uh, this is the evolution of inkjet printers. Uh, except instead of you can't print things. You can't you can't harvest your crops unless you pay us uh, when our thing breaks when it, it's our thing that broke. Uh, yeah, you just <laughs> rent it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, you you pay the amount to to purchase it, but you you rent it. Um, King Gillette, though, I have to say that's his like whatever he does in life, that's his family's fault. That is a name that is made to be <laughs> despotic. Like, what yeah. was he gonna do? Just you know, give away thing? No, he's not gonna. But so the, the John Deere. I mean, to your point about the John Deere. Uh, John Deere as the the you know the 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 case the the battleground for this. That is an especially um, egregious and like uh, it pulls at the heartstrings, right? Because you're imagining yeah. some small. You're not imagining a massive corporate mm -hmm. farm. Like this isn't a Monsanto farm. You're imagining, right? It's some mom and pop farm yeah. if those still exist. All and farms are Monsanto farms. <laughs> they're all, oh, they're all using Monsanto true. seed and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I married into a that's, farm that's family. family. There are small farms. Yeah. This, I mean, like, they, are they on deer family? Even, even like small family farms, I believe use like giant Monsanto, use Monsanto seeds and stuff like that. Monsanto, other stuff. Anyway. Well, now yeah. I'm really going to go off on, on on a tangent that I don't know what I'm talking about. But I <laughs> seem to remember this. This is a half-remembered dream of a memory that I got from somebody else in law school. But I, tell me if you guys have ever heard this before. Monsanto, um, so they, if I remember correctly, they in some way have IP over certain strands of everything, right? But for the, for, for the sake of our discussion here, let's say wheat. My understanding was, I believe it was in India, that what they were doing was they... Uh, let's not say intentionally, but one way or another, it happened that um, wheat that was grown with Monsanto seed that had DNA that was identifiable as Monsanto um, was especially prone to spreading to fields, even where farmers were not planting Monsanto seeds. And so they would show up or somebody would from some Monsanto would show up to one of these farms and they would say, you know, it looks an awful lot like you got yourself some Monsanto wheat here. And the, you know, the, the farmer would say, well, no, I, that's not. I plant my own seeds or heirloom seeds or whatever. And they'd say, well, we have a right to take a sample. They're going to take a sample and they look at the DNA and they find, you know, whatever the strands that they stole from a tomato or something so that this stuff doesn't die when it's cold. And uh, it turns out you had planted this stuff. And so now you owe us um, 
you know, a, a ton of money. And my memory of the articles I was reading and was that it, I mean, it was, you know, destroying these farmers lives. Yeah, I don't I don't know what actually happened there, but I think that ha- that was in America as well. I thought that was like everywhere. Uh, but it was so the one that I heard about was the seeds were called were Roundup Ready seeds because Monsanto yes. uses Monsanto, I believe, makes Roundup the herbicide, right. uh, the or weed killer, and so they engineered seeds which produce crops where you could just spray it with Roundup and it would be fine, perfectly um, healthy, perfectly normal. Yeah, and then there was like, and so there were some cases where basically. People stole the seeds. And yeah, that seems like, I don't know. I don't know if patent infringement is the right word for it, but like, I think it was patents. Yeah. But they were trying to, yeah, they were basically trying to say, you can't take our seed and then grow, like duplicate it because that's patent infringement. And then, but there were some cases where like people's crops were unintentionally infected with infected, you know, right. Quotes. Uh, you know it's this crossbreeding it's a you know the way of life like right. matata um that's the wrong that's the wrong song from the lion king um it's but, the circle of you know, life i think the title you're looking for life. is the yes. circle of life yeah. <laughs> thank you i i wish it was hakuna matata but it's not um uh it's very much worries many worries for all of our days forever um but uh yeah apparent from what i've heard the actual lawsuits from Monsanto where it was unintentional crossbreeding was basically none. Um, oh, okay. But it was a thing that happened. Like you could get, you could accidentally commit patent infringement by having a seed that happened to blow into your, your, your field or whatever. It was something that was potentially happening. And now that, that's crazy. I learned about that before I went to law school. I, I kind of wanted, I'm interested now. I want to research what actually happened there, but I know that there's like, um, uh, the Supreme Court like looked at patentability of this stuff, like how much you can actually patent a living thing, like a right. DNA strand. And I think the answer was yes, you can to some degree at least. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it was. I think I'm right. I think it was tomatoes, right? Wasn't yeah. the 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 crossbreeding of like wheat with some sort of uh, DNA from a tomato? This is really bad. This is like oh. just, like I said, a half memory, but um, to make them frost resistant. I think that that, that oh. was what. Anyway. Anyway, I'm sorry. I I they got a lot of things. There's a yeah. There's a there's another way that I I talked to a biology professor about this. There's another one where they decrease the pH or something like that because if you decrease the pH, it makes it deadly for certain insects to eat. But it nice. doesn't affect doesn't affect like human consumption. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> we're we're you know the world's we're crazy. Sure. We're we're talking about AI. We're all focused on AI. And also yeah, there's man. all this other stuff going on, but mm-hmm. that's just because AI has gone crazy in the last like two months. So yeah, it's the, the new hot, new hotness. Um, yeah. But I'm sorry, I, I derailed everyone back to the, <laughs> the Don Deere thing proper. Um, the great thing. So I was, I was digging into just a little bit in preparation, just a t- just a smidge in preparation. And the, uh, the original argument for in back in 2015 for uh, John Deere uh, on the part of John Deere was that if you allowed um, third party repair people or the owners themselves to like root around in the software, you'd be able to they would potentially be able to use it to infringe on other people's copyrights. And the examples they gave are like was like basically pirating music on these tractors. 
which is, I mean, obviously just <laughs> patently, patently, haha, hilarious, um, patently absurd, yeah, insane. And it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I see why this is chosen as the battleground for on the part of people who are interested in the right of right to repair. I struggle <laughs> to see the wisdom in John Deere's position here. They just <laughs> seem to be, um, you know, widow and orphan get nothing uh, here. Just putting themselves in a situation that is, like I said, indefensible. I, I mean, what the wisdom is, we we make we make it a money. We the the money <laughs> is is a domain. Um, like I don't think Mario. <laughs> I would love here. that they're like, oh no, you can use our tractor as the world's worst laptop and then download Napster. That's like a hilariously bad argument. I feel bad for whatever associate was trying to like you know or par- or whatever associate was trying to convince a partner that that was a bad idea for a for a, 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 a tactic um, and failed. But, yeah. Right. Ridiculous. Uh, but it yeah, feels the, a little silly like, to, it feels a little silly to be posing that argument that if somebody cracked the software and started rooting around <laughs> in it, that it's going to violate somebody's copyright. Well, like we've got a law for that. So like, okay, <laughs> they're, they're breaking the law when they do that. You don't need this other thing too. Yeah. Got the computer right, fraud and, and abuse act. If you, if you, you know, crack it or whatever too. Uh, but another, like, this is far from the only right to repair battleground. I feel like this is the worst PR one, but I mean, I've, I remember right to repair stuff from like 2012 and iPhones, uh, people, there was, I think there was a big lawsuit over whether or not it was legal to jailbreak iPhones that resolved. in I want to say 2012 that, that That ended up being, yes, you're allowed to jailbreak iPhones because at the time Apple was saying, no, you can't. You can't even, we are allowed to sue consumers for breaking into their own iPhone. And there was a, um, and I think that consumers won that. And that was just like step one. And then now we're looking at, so New York passed a law, a right to repair law, which requires, uh, which requires manufacturers, I believe, to sell like OEM compositions of parts at least to allow people to have their own to repair their own stuff anything sold in the state which is i think the first major right to repair bill in the in america uh and i know some people are disappointed that it didn't go far enough because they don't have to manufacture individual parts they can manufacture or allow for manufacture of compositions of parts um but uh you know it's something it's a lot it was very precarious for a little bit when I was first going to law school and like, you know, there was concern that no, you can't, you can't get in there at all. You just have to accept it. Um, but it looks like it's going the other way. Yeah. If I remember correctly, uh, I think the, the iPhone stuff, as often is the case, it, um, happened first in the EU. I feel like that, uh, that seems to be my memory of it is that they lost, you know, Apple lost their, uh, locking down of jailbreaking in the EU as they've now, I don't think it was Apple. Was it who, who were the ones for USB C that was just the big. Oh, Apple lost uh, that too. That was Apple's Apple lost. Oh, that was Apple too. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. it was Samsung. Um, that wasn't a fight. That was the, just legislation in the EU that they're proposing this new rulemaking thing that says everything has to be USB starting in, I think, it's yeah. 2024. So it's not like it was a targeted lawsuit or anything like that at Apple. Uh, <laughs> but they seem to be the most effective because they're the ones, the last major phone maker who's holding out on USB C. 
Uh, it's cool. It, it, so they're going to get around that by making a portless iPhone, and they're not going to have any ports at all. Nah, How do you like that? Nah. Get home. We're not. We're not ready for that world yet. Uh, so turning back to the the John Deere and the right to repair thing uh, for a second, uh, one of the reasons why this John Deere one is such a good uh, sympathetic case for the right to repair is tractors are not cheap. I don't know. I, I, I have no farm experience until I married into a farm family. And now I have like peripheral farm experience from being around people who are farmers. Uh, but a tractor is not a cheap thing. Like a cheap tractor is in, you know, the two or $300,000 range or a cheap harvester oh, wow. or combine or something like that. And they can get like, to be like, I'm, I'm looking at, I just did a quick Google search here and some new, uh, John Deere tractors as of May of 2022, uh, combine price ranges from 670,000 to 750,000 for used machines and 900,000 to oh over a million for new machines. So like think about how bad it feels to <laughs> buy a $1000 iPhone and not be able to do what you want to do with it and like potentially have trouble if you crack it and jailbreak it or something like that. Now think about if your million dollar combine which is like super essential to your business, it's how you <laughs> harvest the crop that you're going to sell uh if that somehow gets bricked or unsupported or just badly supported, or you can't get it repaired by a technician in a timely manner because John Deere's got a stranglehold on that. Like that's a really good sympathetic case to say, Hey, I bought this million dollar thing. How about you let me use it? Yeah. And to your point on those prices, Jason, I, it's again, surprising to me that John Deere, I mean, I imagine that there aren't a lot even before this memorandum of understanding, there aren't a lot of John Deere tractors that somebody paid $670,000, $700,000 for that are just sitting act like actually bricked because they didn't pay their, you know, $40 a month Peloton equivalent fee or something at those prices. Like whether or not these you're allowed to do it, you're doing, you're going to get someone who can look at this thing and repair. Like I, I would be extremely surprised. I mean, although uh, now I'm going to back to what I was going to say is, you have, like, say, the Peloton, right? It's an expensive device. It can be locked down if you don't pay the whatever the monthly subscription is. And so you just have a whole community of people that figure out ways to get around that. And for the most part, it's it's functionally unenforceable to take action against them because Peloton would have to hunt down everybody who just stopped paying for their paying their monthly fee and see if they still had the bike or if they had sold them. It, it would be a, a whole thing and they're not going to do it, right? Maybe for John Deere, they are there's few enough. I, I can't imagine there's so few of these sold that there's not a hacker farmer community. There's not a forum somewhere on the web that you can go to that will someone will sell you the device you need to connect and change the firm. Like you're going to get this working. And so I'm surprised that John Deere particularly wants to fight this fight because I can't imagine it is actually working and people are allowing these devices to these, uh, sorry, tractors to be bricked. I thought they were, and that was kind of, you know, they're very expensive, so it's easier for them to go after, but also like they, so the Peloton, so I was going to talk about the Peloton, uh, <laughs> the Peloton, if you stop paying for it, you still use the bike. Like the, it gives you, it only gives you like a really minimum functionality. Like it lets you increase the resistance. It shows you your metrics, but that's it. Um, but my understanding is if the tractor breaks, it won't let you at you. It's 
it won't let you diagnose it. Right, right, like, right. That's it. And you have to get a, diagn- a John Deere person to come out and fix it. So like as, as kind of ridiculous as Peloton's business model is paying 44, like you have to pay $44 a month for $44 a month is what it is now. Uh, I'm still a little spicy about it. Um, it's still like it, they still aren't as bad as John Deere when it comes to just not paying. Well, yeah, they're not the literally problems. making them into bricks. Let's say, let's say, I, and I, John Deere, I don't think is intentionally going out of their way to make uh, tractors into bricks, except with the Ukrainian tractors that were looted by Russians. I think they did intentionally. Those. <laughs> so the story, so the story goes. Uh, but really, what we're talking about here isn't so much a tractor getting intentionally bricked by John Deere. I don't think there's any evidence of that that I've heard of. What we're worried about here is, let's say it gets to be, depending on where you are in, in let's use the United States as an example, you get to October, November, when it's really like the throes of harvest season and uh, your tractor stops working, but all the John Deere certified technicians who are allowed to work on these things are also busy fixing other people's tractors and it's crunch time. Like you got to get those crops in mm-hmm. while the getting is good. And if you can't get somebody out there to fix your combine, you're like losing a lot of money. And the other thing about these, uh, it's not an EULA, what do they call it? It's a license agreement with John Deere. Uh, the other thing about them is you waive all sorts of stuff in that for the ability to sue them for like consequential damages. Uh, if mm, you know, that's a your great tractor point. is out of service and you can't get a technician out there to repair it in time, you can't sue them for your lost crops. Uh, you're, you're the one standing there holding the metaphorical bag and that's a really, really bad feeling. And that gives a really, really like country music listening, tugging at the heartstrings of America, like <laughs> belt and suspenders, like, those are the people who deserve to be able to fix their stuff uh, and not, you know, some fancy software engineer who wrote a license agreement that says, uh, you can't look at my software while he's snapping his suspenders. I'm sorry, <laughs> software engineers. I'm, I'm, I'm channeling uh, my Midwestern self there a little bit. But You, you raise a good point there, Jason, with the, uh, with the warranty, too. Um, that might be the other big point, right? Is if you do, uh, you know, so it comes crunch time, you have crops that are wor- worth whatever you're going to make for the year that you need to have harvested. And so you do go to an unauthorized um, John Deere repair person because this is critical. And your $700,000 or more uh, tractor now, the warranty is voided because you you did so. So that might be another point as well, that people are going to some third party. It's not actually, like you said, it's not, there are no brick tractors out there in these fields. It's just that there are all these potential consequences in terms of uh, protections for the farmers that this would fix, hopefully. Yeah, and I mean, if you're gonna have this sort of draconian sort of locked down software system, license agreement that prevents you from having any unauthorized, like uncertified person working on it, you better have the stinking 82nd Airborne ready to parachute in and fix my tractor at a moment's notice if you're gonna have that kind of draconian thing. So um, this isn't to say that what they're doing is illegal, although I think it should be. Uh, It's to say that this is a really good sympathetic case to put out there and say, here's why we ought to have right to repair legislation. Because if my combine is sitting in the shed or even worse, unprotected out in the field, 
during harvest season when I've got like a matter of days or weeks where I can get these crops in before the weather turns, before it gets too dry, before the field gets too wet for me to operate my tractor in it. Like if you can't get somebody out here to fix it, like I need to be able to have somebody who can. That's a really sympathetic case. I got a lot of sympathy for these folks. For sure. Um, just to bring it full circle to where, when I, I started this topic, I mentioned that I was going to be the one to throw the cold water this time. And so um, <laughs> in the memorandum of understanding, uh, apparently the loopholes that are left open for John Deere is that the equipment owners and the independent techni- technicians can't compromise safety measures uh, or um, protocols on the equipment that protect Deere's intellectual property. And so that was sort of what mm. I was getting at when I said my concern is that these exceptions will swallow or the inverse, right? The rule will swallow the exception. So, I mean, the safety Mm. measure thing, like I can imagine we're going to be looking at uh, several years, if not longer, of litigation around, you know, insane things that are being called safety measures uh, that are, you know, have no bearing on actual safety. Yeah. Or things protecting intellectual property, which is kind of the whole thing that they. Right. That they they based their whole idea on was we're, we're just protecting our intellectual property by not letting you diagnose your director. Right. And just to close out this topic before we, we move on to follow up and stuff, I, I was looking at some other like sort of insane uh, arguments that uh, companies have made for these sorts of lockdown things. Apparently, in 2015, GM uh, made the argument that um, locking people out of I'm not sure what, but it improves innovation because um, the example they gave was locking up books would inspire kids to become innovative writers. That's not a quote. I don't think that's a direct quote, but apparently they, you know, sort of implied that argument. And when you're dealing with that kind of craziness, um, I guess the John Deere, uh, I'm exceedingly sympathetic to the farmers. um, And I made the point of like, I can't believe that John Deere is actually litigating. Like if I was uh, counsel for John Deere, I would look at this and go, you know, this is a dog of a kid. Like we just have to let this go. We have to find another way to make money with these things. Look, we're selling these things for (laughs) $700,000. I think we're, we're, we're doing okay. And basically the reason why it's 700,000 versus some other one is some green paint. So I I would let this go. But when you see, when those are the people standing shoulder to shoulder with you as GM making arguments like locking up books, make kids more, you know, better writers. uh, I could see how they might think that this could be a winner. Um. I don't. I don't think they care about the strength of their legal argument. They're just ma- they're making the money. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna take it until they can't. Right. All right. Well, unless we had any other comments about uh, John Deere, I think we could just move on to follow up and sort of talking about what's going on with us. Yeah. We all we're good with John Deere. Yeah. We're done punishing I Mr. Deere for this. No, not I'm I not would done, say I'm good with I John mean, Deere. Yeah. No, 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 no. Nobody's good with Mr. Deere. No. Um, so the only follow up I had, uh, I, mean, we all, I mean, we all had, we talked about this a little bit before the show, was this uh, story about CNET is publishing uh, articles uh, published by AI. Did you guys have a chance to just like do our usual amount of research, which is to say <laughs> yeah. we looked at the title and went, oh, yeah. And one thing. So first of all, very, feeling very betrayed as a longtime CNET reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am shocked that they did this knowing that Google might punish them tremendously for it because Google banned AI generated content and see, and all these articles are like SEO bait. CNET lives on Google, maybe not entirely, but they, you know, they're, you know, refrigerator rankings and, you know, whatever, all kinds of other rankings, holiday gift guides. 
that's kind of where CNET makes its bank. And if they get killed by Google, that just seems like not worth it. Um, but uh, yeah. That's... And my understanding is they disclosed it, right? I mean, it's not this yeah. isn't something that, because there are detectors now. There's, uh, I know Hugging Face has one. And then like some teenager, we'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. Some teenager came up with like a GPT-3 detector that can with pretty good accuracy, accuracy tell you if something was generated by AI. And so I don't know if CNET did this before they realized that was going to be possible. And yeah. so then they went like, ooh, better just you know, go ahead and throw the byline <laughs> up that this was written by AI. But yeah. I would imagine not. I mean, I, I have to imagine there were people there who knew that this could could happen. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I think they live and die on Google, I, I imagine. Yeah, you have to click through. the. It's not that the byline says it's AI. You have to click through it. It says like CNET staff staff insights or something like that then if you click on that it says ai generated with with human input um right. important part human input human editing for accuracy and style or whatever so that's that might be the way that they're trying to get around it um i mean but yeah, it's i'm gonna channel kind of, i'm gonna channel my inner casablanca lewis and come out and say i'm shocked shocked to find that there's gambling <laughs> going on in here like this is something that was always bound to happen. And uh, I think it's actually probably good for CNET, maybe not in terms of like Google search rankings, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it'll get a little bit of pop for him right now. I mean, it's enough pop that we're talking about it here. And I don't know the last time I talked about CNET, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's creating a little bit of splash uh, for them right now. And it's, still going to require, I mean, all three of us, I think, have used GPT-3 or some other AI uh, text generation or image generation or music generation thing. I know we've all used the music generation thing. Uh, <laughs> it, it has to have human input to start off with. And so it has the seed of a human generated idea to begin with, then gets fleshed out by this computer program, and then gets back then a human goes back over it and fact checks it uh, and then edits the actual content of it. So it's not as though it has no human hands on it. They're getting some splash out of it here. But, you know, if this is the future that we're looking at, then, I mean, it's not the future. It's the present now. Oh. Yeah, I have some... Uh, some unease like I, i'm excited about especially uh you know open ai projects and chat gpt and and all that i've been using it for a lot of different things and i i'm i'm not uh not an advocate for it but i do feel as though we are on the precipice of just being awash in content that has been generated by ai and ai informing ai and the metaphor i was thinking about was i don't know if you guys have ever like used a like I, I'm, I'm particularly thinking about IRC back in the day, Internet Relay Chat, where you could go in and you know <laughs> download MP3s that you had the CDs for, and so that wasn't piracy. Um, once like all the normal users left there, and bots kind of went in, it was just bots talking to bots. Like you couldn't, you couldn't just have a channel on IRC on one of the big like Dalnet or Fnet or one of those networks, and just have like a channel about baseball or something and talk about baseball. You would just be constantly inundated with spam bots and. That happened. This happened for a couple different apps that I've like hung on to for probably longer than I should have, um, uh, hmm. like communication apps and stuff on the phone where there's no one left on there who's a human being anymore other than me. And it's just you're just constantly being inundated. It becomes unusable for a little while. Instagram um, actually DMs were that for me. It was just like I couldn't I could never use it to actually talk to somebody I knew because it was just a constant flood of 
you know, inappropriate looking avatar people trying to send me to a uh, WhatsApp link or something. And so I do feel like we're we're in the last days of reading a lot of content that is not um, at least partially written by, by AI. And I'm not totally on board with it, but I think we're going to have to be. Yeah, I, I am also very concerned uh, or very concerned might be a strong word, but I, I'm not I'm spooked. I guess would be the, the, I think I've mentioned that before when you wrote your first two paragraphs of your article, I was spooked. Um, there's some things on that I would like to Google and I really do not care if a human wrote an answer. Like I just want the right answer. Like, sure. you know, how, you know, how long does this thing last in the fridge? I really don't care if the AI wrote an answer as long as it, you know, as long as it's correct. And that's maybe the number trick. one. Yeah. How long is it? What is it like? It's like a week. I said, as long as you're not eating bad chicken. Yeah. That's all you care about. right? As long as I'm not getting sick. Um, Unfortunately, right now, the AI doesn't care about the truth. They just care. It just cares about passing as human. Um, So that's not good. Um, But yeah, I, I also think we're on the precipice of having like a lot of bots sounding plausibly human and maybe us having a problem with uh, being able to differentiate between between bots and humans, and are when we get spammed to buy sunglasses on Facebook, whether or not that's <laughs> going to be preceded by, you know, twenty messages of plausibly human chat, so that it's it's like, oh dang, it's sunglasses, it's a sunglass bot. Um, so that's concerning. Also concerning is going to be people aren't going to like this. Uh, is that it's going to direct people towards maybe eliminating privacy on the internet or make, eliminating the option of anonymity where you don't have to tail yourself to it. It's a big, it's a big oh, ask yeah. because of the, uh, it's a big ask because of the, the, the house of cards that is internet infrastructure, the ability to require somebody to prove an actual identity before they engage on the internet. But it is something that I think people are going to start pushing for more and more as AI becomes more plausible. I think what we're really approaching here is the age, uh, the transition of the age of people being confidently incorrect on the internet to AI being confidently <laughs> incorrect on the internet. That's a good point. Uh, and They're that's just like be, us. Uh, yeah, we're going to pass the baton. We're going to pass the baton to AI being confidently incorrect. Speaking of transitions, um, and so I, I can sort of segue these hey. two points together. Our our, our concluding our concluding uh, uh, Jake news here. Um, would you? So you guys both have websites, and Jake, I know you're going to talk a little bit about your yeah. blog. But would you guys use AI for not for your blog, but for your professional website to write copy, like not to write anything? Um, you know that you're actually obviously your websites are not legal advice as this podcast is not legal advice etc cetera, etc cetera. but not anything that would be um really important but just copy like who a little bit about who you are maybe dump your resume into it and say like write me an introductory paragraph for the, this uh no i have copy paste for that i I'll, i've written things about myself so you know i'm gonna write my one thing it's important to me what that sounds like maybe i would start it as like a you know a if there was like a a bot oh man i'm be- i bet this is coming if this already doesn't already exist, where you upload a PDF of your resume and it, and it writes a bio, I bet that's going to come. If it well, you can already. just do Chat GPT with that. I mean, I've done it just to, yeah. to see, like for my little executive summary or whatever. That's yeah. entirely written by Chat GPT. Yeah, 
I mean, I would probably, I could use that as the nugget and then expand on it. But, you know, that's important enough where I will spend the time to write that and then just copy paste it everywhere where I need it. Um, so, no, I don't think I would do that. I would totally do it. In fact, it's <laughs> a great idea. Next time, I, next time I go, I'm going to go do it anything, right now. <laughs> I mean, not right, not right now. I'm, I'm busy doing this right now. And then I'm going to go to bed. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I would I'm totally not, do that. Doing the podcast. We're going to have a live I mean, uh, bio writing as we speak on ChatGPT. If you're doing it the way that CNET is doing it, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. I mean, you give it the seed of an idea, especially if it's just a simple little thing. You give it the seed of an idea, let it do some of the churning, and then you go back and clean it up. Like, I'd totally do that for my website. The only thing I would point... I mean, you you said it there, Jason, when you said nothing important, just something small. I predict in the next, I'll say, year or so, between um, Safari, Edge, Firefox, one of them is going to ship uh, out of the box with a something that is on the UI, that is on the URL bar or something that tells you if the text is likely generated by an AI or oh. not. And so, I, I mean, there's, pri- there's obviously privacy implications for that, but so- somebody's not going to care. They're going to want to capitalize on this when this becomes a problem, right? And we have all this generated junk on the web. There's going to be some uh browser you know maybe fire maybe mozilla that will want to capitalize on it and they're going to ship with something not an extension which i'm sure already exists but it's going to come with it and my only concern would be while i would do some small things on my website with it i wouldn't want to generate a whole slew of articles or anything and pass it off as my own just because i think i you could potentially get get hurt you know later with Mm -hmm. it and also to your point uh jake's uh point rather of um google uh de-emphasizing results I, that informa- that all that information will be tied together and all of a sudden you won't be getting any organic search traffic anymore. I want the uh, browser plugin that's going to tell me when I go to a car dealership's website, if the person that's trying to chat with me in the bottom right hand corner is a real person or a bot. Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, a, a bot. it's always a I can, bot. I can tell it's you always I'm your extension. I'm your bot. I yeah. want that. I've been, I've been doing this too. I want that. But what I also want is I want an indicator as to, this is a very specific complaint, but I want an indicator as to whether that person is a third party that's been hired to do this, or this is actually somebody at the dealership. Because now I'm ranting. I know I am. (laughs) I am continually chatting with someone who has no capacity to tell me anything more than what's on the website about the inventory of their, whatever cars they have. And they say, well, if you give me the information, I'll pass it on or whatever. And it's somebody else entirely. And you have to repeat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's my complaint for the that's, day. I'm sorry. I, I stole the, that's the, the tech pond. support. It's the tech support problem over just again. Uh, of mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an outside outsourced place that doesn't have any power to do anything. They're just going through tech support 101. They're going through their thing. Uh, oh, you call them. You've already restarted your router. You've already like re- reformatted everything because you, you know, you're right. you have basic competence. It doesn't matter. You got to do all that stuff again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the browser thing, one of them is going to have an AI detector. Edge is going to have chat GPT built in and it's going to have <laughs> an AI generator built in because Microsoft is deep in OPA of an AI. They're going to lean into it. That's, that's you yep. know, with Bing and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's one po- potential possibility. So my transition was for you, Jake. What What's going yeah. on? What, what, you, what are you doing? What are you up to? So, so my new, new Year's resolution, uh, to the extent I had one, was you know, inspired by Mastodon was to become more independent of big tech things and to branch out on my own. And so I already had, I've owned jacobschumer.com. I, I bought it just in case I ever, you know, got famous and somebody wanted to park it and be a jerk to me. Um, 
I did that when I got out of fresh out of law school and was a public defender. Um, easy 15, you know, 12 bucks a year or whatever. Um, I've been sitting on that, haven't done anything with it. Uh, but I decided I'm finally gonna like, I'm going to actually make this a website. Um, I was paying wordpress.com to like, you know, turnkey solution, kind of like a Squarespace. Here's your blog. Uh, easy peasy. Over the new year, I decided to get a independent server, get my own registry service and run it all myself. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm getting independent. You're nobody's going to be, no one person's going to be able to take me down, man. I do not recommend it <laughs> unless you were like really independent tech minded. Cause I had such a, it was such a disaster where I did one wrong thing in the console when I started my DigitalOcean cloud server and I lost a few hours of work just like, cause I, cause I was like, what is this? What, what is this SSL thing? Uh, do, should I activate it? I, I, it says that it increases security. Uh, okay. And then I ruined everything. Uh, and then I, I started a new server and uh, it just got corrupted for no reason. And I had to, Sounds and right. the only way to correct it was to go into a, a Linux server console. And I looked up a tutorial and it's like 30, 30 steps long and has like a draw the rest of the owl problem where it's like, <laughs> step one, go into the registry. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to, what is that? So yeah. Um, do not recommend. Yeah, don't you know, do that if you're if you have patience. Uh but now it works. Now it works. It looks great. I'm cool. Yeah. It look it looks it is a default theme. I could I, I lost my energy for it, but it's a default theme with some modifications. But I, I'm ha- I'm happy with the end result. And while you're talking about WordPress, um I will push my uh short code Mastodon. I don't know, search my name in the WordPress plugin uh, store. I guess it's a store. It's free, though. Um, and I have a, an extension in there that, or a plugin in there that you can install on your WordPress um, server and have your little Mastodon, if you're on Mastodon, for the like one person who's not us, who is both <laughs> listening to this show, right? It's not even one person. What am I talking about? Listening to this show has a WordPress server that is their own, has a Mastodon account, and would like to display their posts on their Mastodon account, I have the plugin for you. I don't have the URL. It'll be in the show notes. You could search my name. By the Jason, way, what do you got going on? The, oh, the whole reason I wanted to move my server was because WordPress.com was going to charge me $4 a month to install Andrew's plugin. So uh, <laughs> it was all his fault, actually. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Jason. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what's going on with me? Well, we live in Athens, Georgia, uh, right now. And, uh, I don't know if y'all heard, but, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs just won the, uh, national oh. uh, football championship for the second year in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we've got a lot of stuff going on about that where, and of course we watched the game stayed up late into the night. And, uh, I've been, uh, you know, on my way from my office downtown out to my parking garage, I've been popping into stores and scoping out the, uh, you know, back to back national championship merchandise and stuff like that. Uh, and we're <laughs> headed to the uh, parade coming up on Saturday. So that's been some exciting stuff for us. Uh, that's awesome. Kind of being around <laughs> and, and uh, absorbing the energy that's happening in the town and around campus right now. It's, it's a lot of fun. C- congratulations as a fellow yeah. SEC football school. 
you know, we share uh, Vanderbilt Commodore sharing that glory a little bit, sharing the national champ- championship glory. We really uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. are very happy for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, sure, for sure. What about you, Andrew? What's uh, what's going on with you? Well, just on, on your point there, Jason, with your, with uh, so apparently, I guess you guys in Athens don't react the same way people in Philly do to winning because in Philly, if you win, that's when you riot and you flip the cars <laughs> and you set fires and stuff. You don't do that when you lose because they're they're used to losing because the Phillies are a terrible team. Um, but when they win, they don't really know what to do, so they pour out of Citizens Bank Park and they. You, I, mean, I don't know if you guys remember from back in the you know a couple of months ago when the World Series was going on and it seemed like the Phillies had a chance the uh, Philadelphia police had to once again grease all of the poles throughout Philadelphia <laughs> because if they won, uh, people would be climbing these light poles and falling off because obviously they're drunk and killing themselves <laughs> in the street. And so they're out there. You can look this up. There's there's photos of, of cops out there with like what look like uh, wallpaper glue uh, rollers rolling like Crisco onto all the light poles mm-hmm. so that people who you know won't be able to climb them. But what's going on for me? Um, all I have is really a recommendation. I've been lately watching just like old television shows, not old television shows, but old for us on uh, on Netflix and whatnot. And I highly recommend uh, old Seinfeld episodes. If you haven't watched it in a long time, very good. Uh, this is really, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of Seinfeld. But I'm going to recommend something <laughs> you've never heard of before. Yeah, it's this little show about some some people in New York. It's great. Three but also good Golden Girls with high Three high more values. People. Yeah, exactly but also golden girls. It is a really good show. It holds up. It is very funny. And, uh, you can rec- I mean, there, there's, uh, I think like CMT airs them constantly. It's like the only thing they purchased mm. to, to, to put on, on there. That isn't like a country <laughs> music award of some sort for somebody with two first names that I don't know. Other than that, it's golden girls. So I have my DVR record them and highly recommend. But, and that's on Netflix. You said no golden girls is on CMT. You got to record that only? yourself. That's okay. not on Netflix. Yeah, oh, I don't I, know that I'm, on any streaming. I I'm the youth correspondent. I don't have TV, so oh. sorry. <laughs> I'll have to find some other way. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure you can fall off, fall off a truck or something. Yeah, yeah, the internet finds a way. Yeah, they're all dead, so they're not getting anything for their work anyway. <laughs> oh. So it doesn't matter. But if that's it, uh, I think uh, we can close this one out. What do you guys think? Yeah, our first our Talk last to you guys normal, next week. first first normal episode. I don't know. We'll see. See you later. I mean, yeah, there's a few moments left if you want to make it not normal. I mean, we could we could quickly Baba say Bowie. something that we can get double for. <laughs> oh my gosh. There you go. <laughs>